Uh, Turning your Bibles to uh, Ruth chapter 2. Ruth 2. You'll find it if you're using one of our hardback Bibles on page 222. And I will uh, remind you, as is so often the case, uh, you you don't want to close your Bible. You don't want to read the passage and then close them and put them away. You'll you'll need them again. We will um, we'll look to see what God's Word has for us um, this morning. Ruth two. As you know, it's our practice to stand when we read God's Word. However, uh, these chapters we're reading the whole chapter, and uh, just out of just recognizing the fact that. Um, there's no magic in standing. Uh, We will remain seated as we read together Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done to your for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man, uh, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these with his young women, lest in, in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, we come needing You. We need Your help. We need Your work in our ears to unstop our ears that we might hear and understand Your Word. Open our minds and hearts to, to know and believe and trust. And we pray that You would use this, Your Word, to change us. To conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so to be completely honest with you, um, and I don't think this will surprise too many people, um, but uh, I don't, and, and I don't and never have, uh, read any romance novels. Uh, and, I, and I don't even mean just the newest, trashiest kinds. I'm talking about the older, trashy kinds that you know you take to the beach and just kind of you know read just something to read while you're at the beach. Uh, my guess is they all sort of tell the same kind of story. Uh, two people who just happen to meet each other. Uh, two people who, through some sort of random chance event, bump into each other. There's some conflict that has to be dealt with in their relationship that might have something to do with status or, you know, she's way out of his league or he's way out of hers until uh, ultimately they live happily ever after. I don't, I don't read, I've never read those kinds of romance novels. But there's a sense in which that's the pattern of the book of Ruth. There's a lot to the book of Ruth in which there is a chance encounter there's a significant difference in class, and yet it ends with a merciful commitment on Boaz's part. Notice that Ruth and Boaz meet through a, I mean, a random stroke of good luck. Now don't, don't get too Presbyterian too quickly. I know we're the kind of people, when someone says good luck, we quickly rebuke them. There's no such thing as luck. We're trying to figure out what do you call the potluck meal when the church gets together to eat because we don't like that term. But you have to at least admit, from a human perspective, there are a lot of events in your life that you almost are tempted to go... There's no explanation for that except 
just random chance. That's actually not my word. That's the Bible's word. So before you too quickly go, whoa, 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 hold on, Jeff, you can't say that. That's actually what the passage says. Look at verse 3. The writer of the book of Ruth tells us she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It's literally um, a chanced chance or the happenstance that happened to her. This is the inspired word of God telling us that Ruth just so happened when she went out to go glean in the fields, she just happened to end up in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Now, no, the writer of Ruth doesn't believe in luck. The whole rest of the book tells us that. But there's something about the way the writer watches Ruth's, these events in Ruth's life unfold from Ruth's perspective and sometimes from God's perspective. See, you and I know something by the time we read verse 3, we know something Ruth doesn't know. That Ruth doesn't find out until the end of the day. We know that Boaz is a close relative of Naomi's. We were told in verse 1. The writer of Ruth decided to give us that information on the, the front end of the chapter. So that when we read that she just happened to end up in the field of Boaz... You and I are thinking, wait a minute, the writer tipped us off to this guy. I probably ought to be paying attention to this. Lord willing, in, in a couple of weeks, actually the last sermon that we'll preach in this series is going to be a sermon on the, the doctrine of God's providence in our lives. But at least for now, we have to recognize that the writer sometimes shows us Ruth's life from her perspective. Sometimes he shows it from God's perspective. And Ruth, Ruth at the end of the day is going to understand what happened, but from her perspective, she just happened. She went out to go glean in a field and she just picked one. Remember, even Boaz, you're a foreigner. You're new to the area. You're not from around here. You don't know anybody. And for whatever reason, Naomi didn't go with her. Naomi probably was still healthy enough to work. It, it may be that Naomi's own little self-pity party is weighing too heavily on her. So she's just going to stay home and let... Naomi's going to stay home. Did I say Ruth? This is where I get confused. I'm going to say the wrong names back and forth. You can figure it out. Naomi's own pity party is going to make her stay home while Ruth goes out to work. She's probably still healthy enough to go out and glean also. In Ruth's mind, she just happened to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. There are things in your life events, 
people you meet, making a stoplight or not, the job you get or don't get. There are aspects to our lives that seem random and by chance and maybe even sort of uncannily and eerily coincidental. Frequently, you and I are trying to read the tea leaves and figure out what God is doing in our life. What He's trying to say to you. What He's trying to teach you. What purpose He's unfolding in your life. And the reality is, you can't necessarily know it when you're in it. You don't always get the, the glimpse from above. We watch our lives from below. We don't always get the God's perspective of the events of our lives. We get our perspective. And so the reality is this passage encourages us because Ruth is simply living her life. She's just doing, plodding along, living the Christian life, so to speak. Bible allows her to go and glean the edges of the harvest. We'll see that in a minute. So she goes out and does that. She goes out to do what she can, and it's in the normal, ordinary events of life that God's purpose and God's plan begins to unfold for her. In, in some ways, this chapter encourages us. There's something to be said for just ordinary Christian living, for living and working and playing and, and doing those things, whatever else it is that we do, according to the commands of God, and, and not always trying to figure out what God's doing, because you can't read that when you're in the middle of it. Ruth, in, in going about her work, stumbles over God's care for her. She has a chance encounter. But there's also this conflict. There's this issue. There's this struggle. There's this significant difference in class between the two of them. And this is no small, uh, no small reality for Ruth. Boaz owns a field. Uh, my guess is he owns multiple fields because he's the last one to work that day. My guess is he probably stopped at other places, other land that he owns, other to see how other harvesting, other crops were going in other places. And, and he shows up uh, to, to work sort of later than the harvesters, later than these women, later than Ruth. He has all these hired hands. He has land. He's a wealthy man. Ruth, on the other hand is helpless and hopeless and actually has almost no prospect. The reality is, apart from God's providing grace in their lives, Naomi and Ruth are on the fast track to poverty and to perhaps homelessness. They, she, Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. In fact, the foreman, I find this fascinating. Uh, the foreman tells us in verse 6, 
when Boaz says, whose is she? Whose is this young woman? The the foreman says, that's the Moabite woman that came from Moab. Because that's sort of where you expect Moabite women to come from, I suppose. He works for the Department of Redundancy Department. She's a foreigner. She doesn't belong there. She's new to town. She's, she's not one of them. She's not an Israelite. She, doesn't, she didn't grow up in Bethlehem. She's a foreigner who her background is worshiping false gods, though she's there because of her conversion, uh, which we saw back in chapter 1. And yet, here she finds grace in the eyes of Boaz. She finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. She's a widow. Her husband, Malon, has, has passed away. He died back in Moab. She lives with her mother-in-law, who's also a widow. There are no more sons. There are no more children. There's nobody else to, to care for them, to provide for them. We're supposed to feel the the weight of her hopeless condition in and of herself, left to herself. And so her only recourse, her only hope, uh, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, uh, command God's people uh, when uh, harvesters go out to harvest grain, they're actually commanded to leave the edge of the field. We've got fields all around our house. I've noticed uh, that seems to no, no longer be practiced. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you had to leave the edges of the field for those who were poor and for the sojourner. And so you, you weren't allowed to, to harvest, to gather everything all the way up to the edge. And if you were going along and sort of gathering your bundles and you dropped some, you weren't supposed to go back and pick it up. If you got home at night and remembered that you'd left the bundle sitting beside the road that you didn't actually pick up and throw into the back of the truck, you're not allowed to go back and get it. It stays there for the poor and for the sojourner. That's where Naomi and Ruth are headed poverty. The edges of the field, the, the go behind the harvesters and pick up the things they drop, that's their only hope for provision in that day. They are the poor. They are the, the widow. They are the orphan, as it were. And God has provided for them through this man, Boaz. She's out working in the field. She's gathering grain. It's kind of a, uh, an Old Testament work welfare system that was established centuries even before Ruth was born. She's a... Boaz is out of her league. They're not the, the match you would make. Notice, not only is there a chance encounter, not only is there this significant class difference in this conflict that they have to 
uh, overcome, so to speak. But we also see Boaz's merciful commitment to Ruth. Notice, first of all, I don't know how many of you show up at work uh, Monday through Friday and greet the people that work for you with, the Lord bless you. And they respond back with, the Lord be with you. It may have been the other way around. That's further evidence. It's a little glimpse into the fact that Boaz really is a worthy man as he's described in verse 1. He, he's, God is central to his work life. Pronouncing blessing, benediction on his workers even before the day begins. Ruth is gathering in his field. And Boaz noticed her. Maybe she's maybe it's just because she's new. Maybe she's particularly attractive. Maybe he just noticed that there was something different about her. But she catches his attention. And so he asks, whose is she? And you get that description. She's the foreigner. She's the woman who's come back with Naomi. She's the Moabite woman. But notice, as you read through the chapter, she doesn't get the same treatment as everyone else in the chapter. She gets a special treatment. She gets more than the others do. Because look at verse 8. First of all, in verse 8, he says, look, don't, don't go anywhere else. You stay here. You stay in this field with my workers in my land, gathering my grain until we're done. Don't go anywhere else. So he's, he's committing to her. He's inviting, commanding, encouraging her to harvest right there from him. And then down in verse 15 and 16, uh, he's actually providing food for Ruth and Naomi. Not only is she gathering around the edges as, as he's commanded to leave those alone, he, after lunch, tells his workers, here's what you're going to do. You're going to gather your bundles, and before you tie them up and put them away, pull some out and drop it on the ground for her. I'll take the loss. Make sure she gets extra. He feeds her at lunchtime and, and treats her as an equal. Come sit here with us. And you can eat this food. You can dip your morsel into the same wine, the same vinegar that I do. Here, here's roasted grain. He passed it to her. He's treating her like an equal. And she had so much left over that she kind of stuck it in her pocket and took some home to, to Naomi at the end of the day. He provides for her. He also protects her. In verse 8 and 9, he warns her. He, he warns the men, leave her alone. You stay here because I can keep an eye on you. I can watch you and I can watch them and I can make sure you're protected. You do remember when Ruth, let's place the book of Ruth in your Bible history, your Bible timeline. We're told back in the beginning of chapter 1 that this is the days of the judges. The, the book right before Ruth. 
somewhere in there, we're not told exactly when, we're not told who the judge is, maybe there isn't one at this time, but you remember from the book of Judges, there's this refrain, by the way, on Thursdays, men, we're reading through Judges right now. Uh, There's this familiar refrain throughout the book of Judges, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What that means is that at harvest time, Things could be dangerous for single women. They had no protection. Things got a little rowdy. Things got out of hand. And the workers would take advantage of it. Boaz says, you see this one? Leave her alone. I'm protecting this one. She's off limits. You can't touch her. You can't have her. You've got to leave her alone. He provides food for her. He protects her from harm and then uh, treats her like an equal at this meal. Gives her, uh, and even gives her the freedom in verse 9. Look, when you get thirsty, you see that big orange construction cooler, the big got cooler, the igloo cooler that's up there on the table, on the back of the truck. You go drink from that. That's the, that's the water. That's what the workers are drinking. You go drink from that. You're, you can, whatever they, water they draw up, you can help yourself to that. This is special, merciful, loving kindness. It's a, a special care, a commitment that Boaz is showing to Ruth. She's a childless, foreign, Moabite widow. I'm not sure there's a lower class in Israel in those days than that. But Boaz says, here, let me treat you like an equal with me. Let me pick you up and treat you as special. She eats with him in verses 14 and 15. And, and you get the sense in verses 11 and 12, he's heard the story. When she comes to him and says, why are you treating me this way? He says, look, everything that you've done for Naomi, all the things that you've done for your mother-in-law, I've heard the story. I've heard it all. Your reputation precedes you. The story goes before you and I've heard it. I think Boaz knows he's a close redeemer. He knows already I'm related to these people. I'm related to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. I know I'm a close kinsman redeemer. He, he, he knows already that that's a potential role for him. And in that role, he shows this merciful commitment to Ruth and to Naomi. Diligent, loving, merciful, loving kindness, merciful grace shown to Ruth. A chance encounter, significant difference in class, a merciful commitment. But you know that's not really what this chapter is about. Yes, it tells the story from Ruth's perspective, you and I get to watch the story unfold 
from an earthly perspective. But the writer of the book of Ruth gives us just enough from above, from outside the veil, from a different perspective, from God's point of view, that we get glimpses of just what's going on here. And it's not just that Boaz is finding a potential wife. That Ruth is finding a potential redeemer. Where is Ruth's care actually coming from? Look with me at verse 12. This is Boaz speaking. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, yes, I'm spreading uh, my garment over you. We'll see in the next chapter. Yes, I'm, I'm caring for you. I'm providing for you, but it's not really me. You've fallen under God's protection. He spread His wings over you. Or look at verse 20. We get Naomi's words. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's God's kindness. The whose in that phrase refers to God, refers to the Lord. She recognizes that this is God's kindness to the living and to the dead on our behalf. God is taking care of His people. God is bringing about His purposes and at the, and at the same time, He's taking care of His people. Do you remember the end of chapter 1? Naomi wanted to, to change her name to Mara. Call me Mara. Empty. Because I left full and I've come back empty. She's, she's watching the, uh, her life. When I left, I had a husband and two sons. When I came back, I have just a daughter-in-law. My husband, my two sons, they both have died. She's, she, my life is bitter because of what God has done for me. They left home because of a famine in the land of Israel. Why did they come back? Because they heard word, they got word that, that the famine was over. In other words, Israel's experience is the exact opposite of Naomi's. Naomi says, I left full, I came home empty. Israel says, when you left, we were in a famine. Now that you're back, look, it's the beginning of barley harvest. Not the end of barley harvest. You didn't miss it. Not, well, in a year, if you'll get out and plant your field now, Naomi, you, there's a chance. We're told at the end of chapter 1, they came back, it was the beginning of barley harvest. Israel's experience is actually the exact opposite of Naomi's. We were empty, now we're full. The writer of the book of Ruth is calling our attention to God's hand at work in her life. He's reminding us all over again of the ways God provides for us, the way God takes care of His people. She's missing it. Naomi doesn't see it. We so often don't see it when we're in the middle of it. The pain, the struggle, the difficulty, the hurt, the confusion, the things we go through in life, it's so difficult to see when we're in it. 
Naomi couldn't see it. Notice, notice what changes her perspective. What actually changes the way she trusts in God's care for her? Look at verse 17. She gleaned, this is Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. It's two-thirds of a, of a um, bushel of barley. It's enough for Naomi's perspective to completely change. Because from that verse on, she's now recognizing God is taking care of us. He puts you in the field of a close redeemer. He overwhelmingly provided for our needs. He's given you protection from those around you. He's spreading his wings to or shade you, as we're going to sing in just a few minutes. Believer, that's your comfort. That's your hope. That's your reality. Yes, it's so easy to go through life to to miss God's hand of providence in your life. To let your circumstances get in the way of, of seeing God's hand at work in your life. <clears throat> our circumstances can block our view of God's loving kindness. But sometimes, sometimes something as simple as a pile of grain is enough to trigger Hey, look, God really is at work. He really is at work in His world. He really is at work in my life. He really is taking care of me. And I'm realizing now that the circumstances of the last week, day, month, year, I could have done that in the reverse order, but have blinded me to that. But the reality is, God is absolutely at work taking care of and providing for us. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why then do we look for a plane in the sky writing something up there that says, I'm taking care of you? Why then do we look for not just our daily bread, but, you know, a Ferrari? That would be evidence that you're providing for me. A big, huge pile of cash would be incredible. I mean, a loaf of bread is enough for my sandwiches for the day, but 50,000 loaves of bread would really be proof that you're at work. Oh, that we might see His hand more clearly. That He would grant us the grace to see His hand of providence, His hand of care for us more clearly. Look, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, your greatest need isn't food. Your greatest need isn't protection. Your greatest need isn't stuff. Your greatest need is Christ. 
It's not shelter. It's not grain. It isn't a different spouse or a better spouse or better behaved kids or more patient parents. Your greatest need is a redeemer. It's a, it's a close kinsman redeemer. One who can, can provide for you and save you from spiritual poverty of sin and death. The one who provides relief from sin and death, not just for this life only, but for the next. His name isn't Boaz, but he's a descendant of Boaz. His name is Christ. You run to Him. You run to Jesus. There, find forgiveness for your sin. He is your redemption. And and the stuff of this world will grow strangely dim. Is food necessary? Yes. Is it necessary to have grain, to have shelter, to have... Yeah, absolutely. But if I have Christ and none of those, I die with Christ. And am with Him forever. If I'm without Christ and have those, I die without Christ and am lost forever. Oh, that He would pour out His grace on His people so that we might see His loving kindness, His merciful commitment to unworthy, unlovable people. Would you pray with me?